Welcome in to the Victory Sports Podcast. I am your host, Preston Victory. I hope you all are enjoying the long weekend. Today we've got our fourth episode, and it's hard to believe that we're already here. We've got a lot to cover, especially with college football kicking off, or the official start of college football happening this past weekend, and I'm excited to cover it. If you like the show, go download, subscribe, and give it a rating. I want to kick off today by talking about Cam Newton getting cut. There were reports that emerged when he initially got cut that it had something to do with his vaccination status with COVID-19. And I thought that seemed reasonable. You have coaches like Urban Meyer talking about people or players, whether they're whether or not they're being vaxxed, being a factor in whether they, you cut the player. So, okay, I thought that was reasonable. But then reports came out this week that Cam Newton was actually going to Mac Jones to tutor him on the Patriots playbook. And he's been in the system for for about a year now, or over a year. So now it makes perfect sense to me why they cut Cam Newton and went with Mac Jones. So if you are a quarterback and you've been in the NFL for over 10 years, I'm assuming at this point for Cam Newton then you shouldn't be asking your rookie to help you with the playbook. And I get the Patriots system is known for its complex, like for its complexity. But you've got to know your shit, man. Figure it out. And so I think Cam Newton is done at this point. He might get signed as a backup. But overall, I don't see him fitting the backup role. He's too much of a... He's too much of a star slash figure, I would say, to be a backup quarterback. Most of the teams in the NFL, you don't really even know the backup quarterback. And so I just don't see how you're going to bring in somebody that attracts more attention than your starting quarterback. So it's a shame because I think Cam Newton could have had a, a great career. And unfortunately, I think when you look back at it, it's a bunch of woulda, coulda, shoulda. Like when you, his entire career will be defined by him not going after the fumble in the Super Bowl against the Denver Broncos, and that's a shame because I think he's a fantastic talent. I think he seems like a great human being, and you know I wish him nothing but the best. But that's the way it is. All right, let's move on to college football, and man, oh man, was it a great opening weekend. My two favorite matchups, Clemson and Georgia, and then UCLA and LSU. Two amazing matchups. Like, my eyes were glued to the television the entire time. I thought it was really cool to see an old-fashioned football game where there wasn't a lot of scoring, a defensive battle. Like, the only touchdown being scored in the Georgia and Clemson game was a pick six. I think it shows that Clemson's got a long way to go, and... I don't even know if they find their I don't even know if they find themselves in the playoffs at this point because their conference is so weak. Their best opponent was North Carolina who just got beat by Virginia Tech this week. So, I think it's a tough road ahead for Clemson and they definitely can't afford any more mishaps like they did this weekend. So, I think it's a long road for Clemson. Georgia, assuming that they go on to win the SEC East, has positions itself to be in the playoffs. And so they've already proven me wrong. I thought Clemson was going to smoke them, but Georgia is in great position now. 
they just as long as they don't have any mishaps in the SEC East, which it's a pretty weak division. I mean, they have Vanderbilt who just lost to an FCS opponent. And then for some of you who don't know, they paid four hundred thousand dollars for to an FCS team just for them to lose by almost three touchdowns. That's the division that Georgia's in. I'm not particularly worried about them getting through the SEC East. So you can pretty much just book Georgia for the college football playoffs, barring any major injuries or a total collapse by their team. And now when I looked at the UCLA and LSU game, I think you're seeing two programs that are passing each other going opposite directions. LSU, a couple years ago, many consider that team the best college football team to ever exist, led by Joe Burrow and uh, Jamar Chase. And now they are just... They are just falling off a cliff. They were 5-5 and last year. They had some good moments last night, but it just doesn't... They don't look like the same team. They're not going to be anything special going forward they they got a good wide receiver who's probably going to be you know great in the NFL but from a pure team standpoint it's a shame because I like Ed Orgeron as a coach he's entertaining I think he's great for the sport but he's got he's got to get this turned around fast otherwise he's going to end up like Gene Chizik 2.0 the more and more he continues his career at Oregon and for you for those who don't know Gene Chizik was the head coach at Auburn when they won the national championship with Cam Newton. And so they had this amazing season with Cam, and they were undefeated on top of the college football world. But once Cam Newton left, the program collapsed. Two years later, they were 3-9, and nine, and they fired Gene Chizik. And unfortunately, I think Ed Orgeron is on the same path currently. Now, again, maybe he could turn around. It is just one game, but I think that that's the direction that is heading. Now, for UCLA, I think this is big news for college football. It is, right now, the state of college football I don't particularly love. It's mainly a regional sport at the moment. Like, all the good teams are in the south or the southeast part of the United States. But if you can get a good team like UCLA, USC, Oregon, back to being elite programs... This will generate a lot more interest throughout the country, get more fans engaged, and it's great to see Chip Kelly back on top of the college football world. He has had a little bit of an exodus after leaving Oregon. He had a brief stint in the NFL where he had some success, some could argue, but ultimately it didn't work out. And so I'm happy for him that he's been able to find a home at UCLA, and it looks like he's going to be able to turn this thing around. And when you look at last year, when they were 3-4, and four, they had three one-possession games that they could have won. So if you flip two of those games, they not only have a winning record, but they're 5-2. Five, I mean, so the building blocks were in place last year, and now it appears that this year is going to be the year where they become that elite program. So I'm excited to see what they can do. I hope it all works out, because I think college football is definitely in need of a Western power or a Western elite program because they've been sorely lacking that lately. I want to talk about a topic that I mentioned last week, and that was Nebraska. Scott Frost, when he got there, you thought Nebraska is going to be back. 
and they're going to be a national power. This is going to be awesome, and it's only a matter of time before Nebraska is back in the top 25 on a regular basis. Well, that has not been the case. As I said last week, Scott Frost is now 12-21 and 21 at Nebraska after coming, on, after coming over from an undefeated UCF team. So I think if I'm Nebraska, I'm looking to make a switch. You've got players leaving through the transfer portal, NCAA investigations, even though that doesn't really mean much at this point, and they don't seem to be getting any better, and that's concerning. And when you look at the history of Nebraska, you this, this is unacceptable. So if I were them, I would start looking, and I think I have a great solution for them. Hire Hugh Freeze, the head coach at Liberty. He was the head coach at Ole Miss for a good amount of time, and he beat Alabama with Bo Wallace. For those who don't remember, he is like he was a good but definitely not great quarterback in college, and he had a lot of success at Ole Miss, and I get he has a lot of baggage off the field. If I had a son, I would not want, my, I would not want him to play for Hugh Freeze. But the facts don't lie. He can build a program. He's, he did it at Ole Miss. He's doing it at Liberty right now. And I think he could do it at Nebraska. I think he's got the right mindset to come back and show everyone that he's a changed man and he's learned from his mistakes. And I think that could be potentially a great hire for the program and get Nebraska on track. Because similar to UCLA, I think it's great to have these historic programs be elite and be competing for the top spots in college football. Because it's a little top-heavy as a whole right now. It's not too hard to predict who's going to make the college football playoff. You might be able to... There's probably six teams out there that have any remote capability of winning the national championship. And barring, of course, any major injuries. So I think it would be great if you have some of these programs rise up to that level and make college football a little bit more interesting. Because right now it's pretty easy to see who's going to make it it's just it's not quite as easy to see who's going to win it so i think it would add a little bit more excitement i want to mention real quick this past weekend was the last weekend without nfl football until february 22nd i don't know about you guys but that's got me really excited we'll have college on saturdays We'll have the NFL on Sundays, and then there'll be some great matchups on thir- on Monday, Thursday, Friday night. It's my favorite time of the year. I'm getting married. I'm excited, and I cannot wait to cover it all with you guys this coming fall. Moving on to my last topic of the day, the PLL. So for those of you who don't know, the PLL semifinals occurred this past weekend. Uh, there were two big matchups, the Atlas Lacrosse Club versus the Chaos Lacrosse Club, and then the Water Dogs Lacrosse Club and the Whip Snakes. Both fantastic matchups, and both games were a dogfight. Now, the score may not reflect how close the games were, but I thought both games were extremely entertaining and fun to watch. When you watch the Atlas and the Chaos game, it was extremely frenetic fast-paced a lot of up and down action especially early on in the first quarter both teams i thought were displayed a couple of nerves and lack of discipline early in the games 
but after they settled in, it was a back-and-forth affair. The Chaos went on a 4-0 run to start the game, but then Atlas responded by scoring six of the next seven goals. And it appeared that the Atlas, who were the favorites for this game, were going to take care of business and advance to the championship game. But the Chaos being the Chaos, and they've proven time and time again that they're capable of this, so you can never count this team out, no matter how bad things look. They fought back, and they found a way to win. A large part of that is due to the elite play of their goaltender, Blaze Reardon, who I think is the best goalie in the world and deserves MVP this year. He has, every single game that he's played, has given the Chaos a chance to win due to his ability to make great saves. But I also think the defense deserves some credit too. They have done a really good job of forcing shots that Blaze Reardon is capable of saving. And now, don't get me wrong, he will make elite saves, like plenty of like in-close and tight saves, but the defense for the Chaos is also extremely impressive, especially with players like Jared Newman and Jack Rollette. They play an extremely physical style, they want to get up and out as soon as the ball is on the ground, and they do a great job of generating transition. And they started the game off that way by generating a two-point goal, and I just, as soon as I saw that, I knew. I was like, I think the Chaos are going to win. Even just, even when the Atlas kind of went on their run, I couldn't help but feel the Chaos are going to find a way to win this game. Their face-off man, Max Adler, he's gotten a lot better throughout the year. I remember watching him in the beginning, and it, it didn't look really good. They, The Chaos briefly went to the backup face-off guy, Kyle Gallagher, a second-round draft pick. And that didn't work out well, so they went back to their original starting face-off guy, Max Adler. And he's gotten a lot better. He uh, came over from the MLL, the other lacrosse league that doesn't exist anymore because the PLL is a lot better. And he's proven to, I, th- I think he's proven to be a very capable, capable face-off guy in this league. And he held his own against Trevor Baptiste. He went 10 of 22 much closer than the last matchup where Baptiste just straight up owned him. So I thought the play of Blaze Reardon, better play at the faceoff X, and then just great team offense. They The attack and the offense just as a whole really work well together. There's a lot of off-ball movement and cuts, and then the players know how to handle the ball in tight spaces. So they're able to make tough, contested catches and finish on goal. So I don't know about you, I would not be doubting the chaos as they head into the championship game. And when it comes to the Atlas, I think it was a great year for the team, a really good story in general. I talked a little bit about J.D. Calarusso being the um, flo- like floater-like goalie last year in the PLL bubble. And so... I think that they have a lot to be proud of. It's very disappointing knowing that you're not going to win at all. But I think they've got a great young core for the foreseeable future. I think there's definitely some positions that they could address. I'd like to see better short stick D middies for them. I think they could get a little bit better in the middle of the field. But overall, I mean, they've got all the pieces. I don't think you're going to have many games where your best midfielder, Brian Costabile, is going to shoot 1 of 13. Now again, it was against the best goalie in the world, Blaze Reardon, but I don't think that's going to happen every game. So 
the future is bright for the Atlas. Unfortunately, this year was not their year. Moved on to the second game, the Water Dogs and the Whip Snakes. This game went basically how I thought it was going to go. The Water Dogs have had a great year. They play well together, but the Whip Snakes have been there. They've won the championship twice, you know, back to back years, two time defending champs. And I just think their experience and them being back healthy finally just gave them the edge that they needed. The the Whipsnakes were able to address their their goalie need by uh, inserting Brian Phipps into the starting lineup. Kyle Berlmer was just not playing well after being one of the top goalies in the world, but I don't really know what happened. He just, like mentally you're in a little bit of a funk, and then you start letting in all these easy goals, and you start doubting yourself. And this I can speak to. The moment you lose your confidence as an athlete, you're done. Like you, you can't perform anywhere near to your potential. And unfortunately, I think that's what happened to Kyle Burnlore. Their head coach tried to give him time to get over this um, bump in the road, but unfortunately, it just proved to be too big of an issue. So the Whip Snakes inserted Brian Phipps. He played pretty well. And so now I think the Whip Snakes essentially have no weaknesses. I think this is going to be a very tough out for the Chaos in the championship game. But hey, the Chaos have that underdog mentality. They know how to play as the underdog. They played the Whip Snakes last year in the championship game and lost. So you know they're going to have that at the forefront of their mind when they play them this year. So I think it's going to be a really great game. Another big factor I forgot to mention in the Water Dogs and Whip Snakes, a big reason why the game wasn't as close as I think it should have been was the play of the Water Dogs goalie, Dylan Ward. After having a slow start to the season, he came out really hot towards the end. And unfortunately, I think these two, or not two weeks, three weeks off for the Water Dogs allowed him to slip back into his early season mode where he just wasn't seeing the ball very well. And when you look at some of the shots that he gave up, it really was just, it was tough to see. I feel bad for him, but unfortunately, you got to make those saves if you want to win at, at this level. So, you know, regarding the Water Dogs, I think it was a good year for them, especially after not having a great inaugural season because they, um, they were an expansion team last year, and they lost a lot of close games, and they only ended up winning one game, actually, in the PLO bubble, which the PLO bubble was only a two-week season. So I think every team played. It was four games. So they didn't have a lot of time to gel together anyway, so you can't really count. I wouldn't say, at least for an expansion team, you can't really count last year. But they really gelled well this this year. I really enjoy watching their face-off unit with Jake Withers and Zach, Cur- Zach Courier and Ryland Reese. I think watching that group work together to generate face-off wins is exciting, and I think it's unique. And I, I, I wish more teams would approach the face-off that way, but... You know, they they do what works for them. They're unique, and I like it. Regarding the Water Dogs' future, I would say that they're in pretty good hands. I would definitely try to address the goalie situation and then potentially look for an ex-attackman. They had, like, a lot of good options. They have Ryan Brown and Kieran McArdle, 
but I don't think they have a true X attackman, which I think could really put them over the top. The Redwoods went and got an X attackman in Rob Pinnell, and I think that really to open up their offense as a whole. I think the same could be said for the Water Dogs, whether that's um, Michael Sowers who steps up because he only got to play in two games this year after suffering a concussion in his first game, and he didn't come back until this first playoff game. So I think it's unreasonable to write him off. He was the number two overall pick in last year's PLL draft. But I would keep my eyes open, even though you think Sowers is going to be a star. But in general, I think also addressing their close and close defensemen would be something to look at as well. Again, great year for them, especially earning the number one overall seed. That is extremely tough to do. But it's just hard to beat a team like the Whipsnakes. They've got the best LSM in the game, if not the best face-off guy, at least top two or three face-off guys in the world. Um, in close defensemen, they, I don't know if anybody plays better team defense than the Whip Snakes. You know, their short stick D middies are really good. So it's just hard to find a weakness in this team. Now, they had a little bit of a slump in the middle of the year, but by the end, they got healthy, and now they're back to playing Whip Snakes lacrosse. I think it'll be interesting to watch them in the championship game. Um, I'm definitely going to cover the championship game a little bit more in depth. I've got an interview set up with my former teammate, Anthony Pavoni. That will get released the Friday before the championship game. I'll give you guys more updates on that on my Twitter page. But if you're excited about the PLL championship game, which you should be, you can watch it on NBC in what is it, two weeks. That is on September 19th. It's going to be on NBC. So you should definitely check that out. Again, lacrosse, I think, is a great physical, fast-paced sport. If you like football, there's no question you would like lacrosse. People are fast. It's physical. You know, bodies flying. Sticks are flying everywhere. I think if you're a football fan, you should definitely check it out. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's content. If you yourself are interested in coming on the show, you can DM me on Twitter or email me using the links below in the description. I've got another interview coming this Friday with Sam Fisher. He's a collegiate tennis player at Lipscomb University. I'm really excited for you guys to hear him talk about, about the game of tennis, and it's going to be a good time. So you should definitely give it a listen this Friday. If you guys are interested in keeping up with the show, Go follow my Twitter page. The link will be below in the description. I give updates on the show, comment on stories throughout the week, and would love to hear from you guys. I appreciate every single one of you tuning in today's episode, and I hope you guys have fantastic weeks. My name is Preston Victory, and this is the Victory Sports Podcast. <laughs>